Welcome to Managing Marketing and today I have the opportunity to sit down with Sandra Wiles who's Head of Partnership and Integration at the Media Store and someone who has spent, uh, well, many years, many years. <laughs> working, working, managing and seeing success from her clients' uh, sponsorships. So welcome Sandra. Thank you for having me. Look, um, I want to start with what may seem like something very basic, but it seems to me sponsorship has so many different faces these days. You know, there was a time when sponsorship was uh, sponsoring the golf day or sponsoring a media, pro you know, a media program or entity, but it's so much more than that now, isn't it? Well, I think the definition of a sponsorship has changed so much over time. I mean, there is still the traditional sponsorships that exist but the assets contained within those sponsorships now are so much more layered and diverse. There's the prevalence of social media and, and every individual um, associated with that particular sponsorship is now a channel themselves. So this rise of the individual is a huge thing and really changing the sponsorship landscape. Mm, celebrities, um, uh, what do they call them? Influencers, influencers, all you know, sorts. Of the whole myriad. So the definition of a sponsorship now is probably one of the most broadest terms in marketing, I think. And different brands will have a myriad of different sponsorships, from traditional sports to influencers to philanthropic causes, all that could be recognised as, as sponsorships. Yeah, because there's commercial sponsorships and then, you know, there's the philanthropic sponsorships, but really they're all uh, based around the same thing, aren't they? They're all based around emotional connection and engaging with a target, whether that target is your uh, a conquest audience, whether that is in within your own uh, business, whether they're stakeholders, franchisees of your business. So the one common thread with sponsorship is you want to be able to to, I guess, deliver a platform where you can emotionally connect with that person. Mm. That's, that's where they differ from, you know, straight media channels and marketing. And, and it differs from straight media channels where you're basically buying a very measurable entity when you buy a media entity, because this is multidimensional in most cases, isn't it? It is multi-dimensional. Um, in saying that, though, there are often media-type assets within those sponsorships, and they are very measurable. Um, like signage. Like signage. Naming um, rights. Naming, and all of that. Yeah. So, um, but in saying that, technology's changed, you know, signage and the way we use signage massively. Uh, there's some benefits there that are very tangible and very measurable, um, and there are others that are less so. And, and I guess some of those... Um, assets that particular property is responsible for delivering and accountable but at the end of the day the brand is ultimately responsible for, for leveraging and making the most out of that opportunity yeah so when um when a sponsorship opportunity presents itself because it seems to me a lot of the clients that come to us mm -hmm. with you know and and they're wanting advice mm -hmm. on sponsorship opportunities it's often that something's been presented to them rather than them going out and looking for it, which is weird, isn't it? It is, and it, it, it's very much uh, the challenge. I mean, I would get 
a considerable amount come across my desk in a given week without asking for anything. I, I guess it's it's much better to sit back and, and have a look at what your marketing ecosystem is and what problem you're trying to solve. You, you really need to start with that rather than being tempted to just look and jump on something that is put in front of you because, you know, one, you've got some personal interest in it yourself or you think very quickly it might solve a problem. doesn't mean to say the right things don't come along at the right time, but it's much yeah, better to start it's the other way that around. Just, yeah. Absolutely. It must be hard, though, because if you're getting multiple proposals a week mm-hmm. you know, and you're sitting there and, and you know, Mm-hmm. Uh, you have multiple, mm-hmm. even if you've got working with one client, they'll have multiple needs mm-hmm. or if you've got multiple clients. Yeah. Um, to have some sort of framework to be able to filter mm-hmm. the uh, wheat from the chaff, as they say. Do you have? Do you use a framework like that or is it gut instinct? or is I it... think, well, look, it's a little bit of both. I think when you're selecting a, a sponsorship, you've really got to have some fairly uh, stringent criteria that things need to to um, to play into. Um, ROI is obviously an important one because you're going to have to put a lot more effort and energy into a sponsorship than you would a straight media buy or a campaign. So there's hygiene things that need to stack up in terms of that. Um, it's how measurable is it? How you know is it a known entity? Is it a new thing? Is it tapping into a passion that you're currently not delivering in the rest of the portfolio, for example? So there is a gap there. Um, is there a a job that you need to continue to do with customers that gives you another uh, opportunity to have in your portfolio of how you can reward loyalty, for example. So I think having a lot of a a set criteria and and staying, I guess, vigilant to that and and constantly refining that and learning that over time makes it very, a lot easier then to sort out the, I guess, the the key gems in, in them, in those opportunities. And uh, there was a, a colleague, a friend of mine, Carl Gardner, who worked at Mushroom Musical mm-hmm. Mushroom. Yeah. Uh, he said, because he was the mm-hmm. marketer, and yeah. he said they used uh, sponsorship relationships yeah. as a way of promoting mm-hmm. uh, artists and, and albums and tours mm-hmm. and things. He said he was always looking for the money can't buy. Well, I it, think the money can't buys are the hardest ones to value but the, the big differentiator, and that's where they really do differ from channels, because if you can access these money can't buys, what you are absolutely doing there is tapping into the passion of that target that you're after, because that's showing that you understand their interests and you get them. And if you can harness a money can't buy and leverage that opportunity in how you're going to talk to your target, that's already, you're already way ahead. So that's where it goes from just being a channel to that next level. It's Absolutely. really where sponsorship as a as a arrangement comes mm-hmm. into its own, doesn't it? Absolutely. And, it, and it's not just about doing it with your your um, your target audience. Your target audience should also be your your stakeholders, your franchisees. And it's being, how, how do you, I guess, deliver those money can't buys across your whole business? Mm. So um, when you're... Uh, when you're having to filter through this, is it hard to turn people down? Um, and I, look, the only reason yeah. I ask that is I know someone that worked mm. for a, a big corporation and they said they were getting 20 or 30 mm. a week but, and they yeah. had some criteria. Yeah. yeah. And they said the vast majority of them didn't even get close to meeting the criteria. Well, I think it's how much effort they put in in the first place and whether they've actually shown... Um, 
I guess, initiative in understanding, you know, what brand they're going after. And I think that determines the effort and energy you put back into your response. Um, in saying that, you can see some gems come across your desk that haven't quite been positioned the right way and you know how maybe you could give them some feedback to improve their offering. So I think it's re really important to stay open to what's out there because the more opportunities you see, the more you're able to really understand how sponsorship as a genre is evolving and how just how many layers there are. Mm. And and look for that diamond in the rough, as they say, that with a bit of polishing Absolutely. could actually be a gem. That's you know? right. So, so, so once uh, once you've got a uh, proposal mm -hmm. that that's of interest, mm -hmm. what's the process of then working through the first of all approvals and then implementation? I think as you're working through the approvals, getting that internal buy-in across the business is really critical. Um, making sure you understand where it fits into your overall ecosystem understanding is this something that's going to be a long-term property so let's think about how this is going to deliver to the brand over time mm. across paid owned and earned how are we going to measure success in year one year two year three do we have the infrastructure in place to measure that mm. um, I think what is also really important is it's not just a set and forget once you've got that leverage strategy sponsorships are very passionate spaces and often things can go wrong there can be controversies so as a business as a brand you need to make sure that you have a crisis plan in place to measure wow. when things go wrong because what that does do is it stops you having to respond in the heat of the moment where emotions are high because often if there's a, a controversy and I'll, I'll use say NRL as an example if I may mm. um, you need to be able to to have a, a rational moment to think through well, how as a brand do we respond if X, Y or Z happens so that you are, I guess, following then what aligns to your brand values in a rational way rather than reacting in the heat of the moment to fans or, or even up the chain internally. Yeah, it must be uh, mm. an interesting conversation when a, uh, a sponsorship goes wrong or, or, you know, it starts. But it would come back to who actually owns the sponsorship in a way within the organisation. The reason I raise that mm -hmm. is that we've actually seen sponsorships that have been organised by corporate affairs because it's seen as something that will help position mm -hmm. the company or the organisation yep. with the sort of commercial stakeholders, mm -hmm. the shareholders, mm -hmm. government. Then we've seen it with sales, often sponsorships mm -hmm. used by sales as a way of lubricating the sales mm -hmm. uh, funnel, mm -hmm. um, marketing, of mm -hmm. course, and then other times uh, a separate sponsorship department. Do you think there's any one approach that works best? or I think the key uh, challenge for sponsorships is that they get siloed. And I think you know, what you've just said then explains exactly that. They either live, they're owned by this department or this department. The critical um, element for success is that the entire business is invested in, in its success. So um, if anything, you know, the CMO is the owner or the custodian of that within the marketing team, but equally so is the head of sales. It, um, it, it's got to be a shared responsibility that the entire business is equally invested in. Mm. And in saying that, including the sponsorship property that you've bought from, you want them to be a business partner as well. You want that relationship to go beyond just being a transaction. 
So how do you make sure they're invested in your success as well? Yeah, um, and you can see organisations where they've made it as part of the whole company mm-hmm. because every, you know they leverage that relationship on multiple yeah. dimensions. Mm-hmm. But how many times have you seen big corporates that will have almost corporate sponsorships of events that almost have no con- or obvious connection with either sales, the customer or marketing? Um, a lot. And <laughs> I think what you're doing there is really missing the opportunity to return that ROI and have that property, um, I guess, delivering you greater efficiency year on year. Um, Otherwise, it just becomes an extremely expensive media asset. Well, they are usually the sponsorships Mm -hmm. that are transactional. Yes. Money's paid, tickets are given to an Mm -hmm. event, uh, certain Mm -hmm. people in the organisation turn Mm -hmm. up and that's pretty much it. And I think that's a a demonstration of when you don't start out on the inside with a sponsorship, you start from the outside. And I think if you start properly planning something from the inside to make sure the entire business is invested, you're going to guarantee that you don't end up uh, in that situation. What's that look like? What's, you know, like we can talk about starting on the inside. Mm -hmm. What, What would a inside start look like for a major sponsorship? I think, first of all, um, it needs to start with communication up front. We're investing in this property. The whole business is going to be a part of it. Here is what the staff will access um, as an opportunity. Here is how the franchisees will access this as an opportunity and have potentially some money can't buy is where they may leverage those relationships. Think through all of the stakeholders that could possibly get any benefit or in uh, involvement or experience Absolutely. from this. CRM, how are we, we going to reward existing customers? How are we going to conquest? What's that communication going to look like through the whole funnel? What is that consistency? Because with consistency comes scale. Mm. Um, and I think people having that, that authentic connection is also critical because it's not just about a logo and doing things. It's what is your message? What is your reason for being there? And there's obviously brands that have a much more natural, authentic fit with a particular property. Mm. And there's other categories that have to work harder to make themselves relevant. But as long as you found what that, that angle is, and that angle is consistent across every single touch point, that's when you will you will really see the benefits. And when we think of these big events or big sponsorships, Mm -hmm. you know, like sport, you mentioned Mm -hmm. NRL, AFL, uh, well, cricket. Yeah, it's an interesting one. one. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you've got the arts, Mm -hmm. and then um, and the Mm -hmm. music, and within that you've got the music industry. Um, and what, what other categories are there? Because what, what I'm interested in... Mm-hmm. It, well, there's food festivals. Uh, there's, course, you know, yeah. there's, a, there's a myriad. It, it, it's literally infinite how many opportunities there are and I guess how many uh, properties and the by Olympics. definition. And Olympics is another one again. And even though it's a sport, it's a clean sport. So mm. the way you leverage the Olympics is very different to the way you would leverage a cricket or a, a, a soccer yeah, sponsorship. Yeah, professionals, because the Olympics is well, it's the It's clean ultimate. space yeah. also. There is yeah. no signage in an yeah, Olympics. Yeah, so course. there is a lot more rules on, on lockouts of, of blackout periods of when if you're not a partner, even though you may sponsor an athlete, you can't advertise in that window. So yes, it's all sport, but there's so many nuances between the sports, um, how they're consumed, what all those rules are. 
that you need to navigate. In your experience, are there any categories that are better at working with as sponsorships, or are they, you know, is, is the prof- mm. level of professionalism fairly even, or? Because I, I imagine that has a big impact on how well you can mm. actually leverage your sponsorship. I think the arts struggle a little bit, um, and and for very good reason as well. I mean, they obviously, um, as the arts, don't commercialise themselves quite the same as, say, a sport or the entertainment industry to a certain extent does. So I think, but again, it's really back to who are you going after, your target audience? What are they going to want to see? Mm-hmm. Someone who is a fan of the arts or the ballet isn't going there to see, to have logos shoved down their throat mm-hmm. or, you know, dancers um, prancing around with, with logos on their, their tutu. So it's about tapping into to why you're wanting to talk to that audience and giving them what adds value to their experience. So it's a harder thing to do with the arts because it's probably more subtle um, than, but, it, but it's looking at how do you contribute to that industry. Because if you're, if you're doing good for that industry, you've then got the opportunity to tell a story for your brand. That's where content comes into play. Mm. Um, and the way you, you execute and leverage might be quite different to a sports sponsorship, for example. Yeah, and content's mm. interesting, isn't it? Because that is a, a place where a sponsor can really mm. uh, add value to the audience that they're trying to influence through a- the sponsorship, isn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely, and that's where tapping into those money can't buys being relevant to your audience gives you that legitimate storytelling opportunity. In saying that, the prevalence of content now also makes that property more open to ambush because there's brands that can be very clever with content mm-hmm. and look like they're associated with that IP when they're not. So there's as many benef- negatives as there are benefits or, or challenges, I guess. I know Nike was al- is always used as the one that, you mm. know, by their sponsorship of mm. particular players, yes. they ride over the uh, spo- mm. event sponsors, mm. you know, like the Australian Open yeah. or, or Wimbledon, mm-hmm. because they're sponsoring the players that are actually on the, uh, you know, the centre of the action. And that's, that's where, I guess, um, the... Industry's really changed a lot because the the power of that individual and the I guess the way that athletes are, are now so celebrity and the way we're looking at sport for entertainment. I mean, even the recent Australian Open, there was as much attention played to off court controversies and things mm. as there was to the games themselves. So, um, and as you say, these these um, athletes mm-hmm. are often their own media source as well through their own social media feeds. Um, they do amazing PR because they get uh, uh, the mass media pick up on it. You know, how, how can you as a sponsor either influence that or do you ha- just have to be aware of it or do you have to plan for possible disasters or well, crises? I, I think all of the above. I mean, you definitely need to, to plan for that. And I mean, if you are sponsoring a, a sport, for example, you know, ideally you'll have some ambassadors as part of that opportunity so that you've got the combination of the code or the team and the players um, to be able to be channels for you um, over and above and be able to authentically represent your brand because that's the key Mm. but yes equally it can go wrong if they do something wrong this is where we talked earlier about having a crisis plan you know you've got to make sure that that ambassador that 
person representing your brand understands your values and that's going back to doing your homework and making sure there's alignment there, I guess. So um, we mentioned the Australian cricket team and the you know, they went through a crisis mm-hmm. 12 months ago. Um, interestingly, some sponsors held mm-hmm. their own, mm-hmm. others walked away. Mm-hmm. How, what's the decision-making process for that? I mean, if you're managing a sponsorship for your client, mm-hmm. what are the types of considerations? Do I stay or do I go, to put the, uh, the words of the famous song? Well, that was an interesting one because I guess the, the outrage from the Australian public at that time, on one hand, further reinforced the value of that property because if you've got... Um, a country that cares so much, then surely you're investing in a property that means something to people. So that's a really important thing. If no one reacted, you'd probably be concerned. Mm. So the fact that there was such a, uh, I guess, a, a passionate outcry, to me, said, yeah, this is a valuable thing to protect. And I think, you know, walking away from that, I guess, people need to understand you're not just walking away from an elite level, you're walking away from an organisation that is actually filters down to grassroots and the very people you're trying to target in the first place. So you're hurting them as well if you're walking away and taking that investment out of that body. So it's a lot more at stake and a lot more to think about. Um, and again, goes back to that point I made about having a crisis plan because things will always go wrong. And if you've got a plan, um, in place, you don't need to make a decision in the heat of the moment, but you do need to think about the implications so that you don't just have a knee-jerk reaction to something that does have a bigger flow. So it's fascinating listening to you, Sandra, because you know, I'm hearing you know there's media and mm-hmm. channel management, mm-hmm. there's uh, influencer management, there's crisis management. Mm-hmm. You know, there's this whole mix of media, PR, mm-hmm. you know, yes. reputation management, yeah. all sorts of things that mm-hmm. all come in together here must be fascinating to actually pull those in because in a lot of organisations mm-hmm. and even in a lot of companies, agencies, suppliers, mm-hmm. all of those things are often very disparate. You know, they're often sitting in lots of different areas. Collaboration must be a big issue. Yeah, I think, yeah, communication is key and knowing what you stand for and what you're trying to, to deliver is really important. But I but everything is meshing into everything else. I mean, you're seeing the prevalence of that happening because everyone has a voice now. Everyone has social media. Everyone can have an opinion on everything. So from within a a business, people are a lot more confident to speak out within an organisation as well as outside. But it is a a tangled spider web of of, um, opportunities and threats at the same time. And that's why it's really important to have a very disciplined strategy. And you know where you're going, there's gonna be diversions, there's gonna be things you need to react to, but that doesn't mean you just drop everything and start to go in a different direction. And do you have a, uh, a perspective on whether you know that portfolio of sponsorship should be diverse or should it be you know, focused? Or does it depend on your strategy, I guess? It depends on your strategy. And I think you've got to be careful not to just look at sponsorships as a channel on their own because 
you may have a diverse portfolio. You know, if you're a huge brand that has a massive loyalty program, for example, you're going to want to have a lot of different opportunities in there if you're really working that at an owned level because you want to make sure that you're, you have got you know, something for your entire, um, I guess, suite of customers there, diverse interests. But doesn't mean to need doesn't mean that you need to have your toe in the water across arts, entertainment, you know, areas of music, sport, because you've got to look at your whole ecosystem. You mm. may you may be reaching a certain target audience quite fine in in media and and you know with your creative agency. So sponsorships don't have to fill every gap, mm. but they fill a gap at a point in time. I was while you're saying that I was thinking of the banks at the moment, mm. you know, on the back of the yeah. Royal Commission findings, mm-hmm. you know, and we see banks, you know, mm-hmm. National Australia Bank, NAB uh, sponsor mm-hmm. the AFL, yeah. um, uh, Commonwealth Bank mm-hmm. do a lot around mm-hmm. uh, teaching financial literacy to schools and yeah. things like that. They're It'll also be, heavily investing in in grassroots and women's sport things as well. So, so, mm-hmm. so it'll be interesting mm-hmm. to see how that will evolve over the next twelve mm-hmm. months because I think. You know, one of the things, as you've pointed out, mm. sponsorship is a great way of engaging audiences mm-hmm. through sponsoring yeah. and supporting the things they're interested in. And they've found, I guess, for them, a way of making themselves relevant in a space that they don't have a natural fit, say like a sports brand or a Gatorade or something. So this is where it's really important that organisations do find relevance in that property because that's their content, that's their storytelling, that's how they're going to shift the brand metrics that they're obviously looking to shift, which is why they're in that space in the first place, the way they are. So there's two points of evaluation, isn't there, with Mm. sponsorships. The first is, should I do it? And Mm -hmm. we've discussed that. The second one is, having done it, how do you go about, first of all, working out Mm -hmm. what your, not just ROI, ROI in the fullest sense of the world, but also I imagine there's what are the lessons we've learnt to carry forward. And I think that's the critical thing because so many times you can finish a, a year one of a sponsorship and, and those learnings which have been really critical stay in a PDCA document never see the light of day again. Being able to apply those learnings and then see the benefit of that year on year is very important. Um, addressing any gaps that you might have had in measurement. So it, it is great as you say there's there's... ROI in the most basic sense in, in terms of val- the value equation. Um, and you can do that in a very pragmatic way, just measuring the uh, media equivalency that's in right. a way. And there's industry sources that do that. You validate that yourself. Um, there's tangible deliverables like hospitality. You know what things are worth. Um, the gap that you're paying for IP is the interesting one. Um, yeah. And that's where it's really up to brands to take responsibility for maximising the opportunity they have with that IP to deliver ROI. But the way that you measure it has to ladder back to your objective. It'd also have to be a goodwill factor, wouldn't it? I mean, how would you, if you're sponsoring something, and, and I know, you know, you, you've, you've mentioned this before, uh, as a sponsor, you need to add value Yes. to the experience mm-hmm. of whatever you're supporting mm-hmm. for the audience. Mm-hmm. That must add goodwill. And goodwill sits on a balance sheet. I mean, literally, goodwill mm-hmm. is part of how we value companies. Is that part of the evaluation of sponsorship or is it sort of one step away? 
Look, I, I think it, it's absolutely part of it, but I, it's not. There are so many parts, yeah. um, and and I think, you know, if you are um, trying to shift measures of of trust of, of of attributes for your brand, you've absolutely got to have that sponsorship within your your brand tracking, so that some of these less tangible things can have a measure. Um, and can be attributed to that sponsorship. I think goodwill attribution is really difficult one, but it's every initiative you're doing, you need to be able to measure. What is the one thing that we're gonna measure success by for this? And make sure that everyone's buying into that measure. Um, I, li- I like it in finance because mm-hmm. basically it's the difference between the value of the tangible assets mm-hmm. versus the value of, say, a publicly listed company, yes. so how it's valued mm-hmm. on the stock exchange. The difference between the two is roughly the goodwill. It, it I'm is. wondering if we can do the same with, uh, with sponsorship and brand as well. I think it's never going to be an exact science that's going to spit out a magic number. Um, and I think each brand has unique ways of talking about success within their organization um yeah it is a it is a long-term um it's not something you will ever ever achieve in in a year it's a long-term um digging in the trenches and working it through the system and being able to find every little nugget that you can that says well without this or without leveraging it this way we wouldn't have achieved this so having done an evaluation of a sponsorship mm-hmm. and you realise that for whatever reason you've incredibly under-delivered on the potential, what's the sort of thinking you would go through as to whether ditch it, try again or completely reinvent it? Well, when you say under-delivered on the potential, I think it is, Return again, on investment. I guess, having a... Um, a long-term plan and having times that you're going to check in. You mean you can't embark on a sponsorship for a year and not check in at regular intervals to stop that kind of thing happening and to optimise and have countermeasures in place that are going to change the mix. And look, there's a myriad of reasons why something will work or it won't work. But if a brand is accountable for, say, a lack of success, there's still learnings that you need to take on board. And you're not going to get everything right year one. In fact, you're probably better off to do smaller steps because the most, the biggest mistake that you can make in a sponsorship is jumping in too early before you've even got any legitimacy, but before people are even aware of you. And if you get it wrong and, and I guess, behave in a way or communicate in a way with content that shows you don't really get the space, that's where you're going to do more harm than good. So taking time to really learn about the property, immersing yourself in it, is going to guarantee that you don't miss the potential. Mm. Um, it's, it's a good mm. point because, you know, some people uh, will, some organisations yeah. have a sponsorship budget mm-hmm. and it's almost like a bucket of water that gets doled out to, mm-hmm. to various things. But mm-hmm. your approach is more about seeing it as part of the overall Absolutely. investment. Yes. Right? And- and, and sometimes sponsorships can change over time and actually end up delivering on a whole other marketing objective that you actually didn't sign up for in the first place. But that might mean savings from another part of the business because suddenly with what you've learned in that sponsorship space, it can now answer another business problem 
that maybe is, is more effective to solve within the sponsorship than perhaps something that the CRM team might have been doing separately. Yeah. Um, you know, and in saying that, I mean, sponsorships can have, a, have an end date and have a, a time where they simply no longer play a relevant role um, in a brand. And it's knowing when that time is up um, or reinventing what that sponsorship looks like or what those inclusions look like are really important. Well, there, there is that benefit, isn't mm. there, of long-term sponsorships because we've seen some pretty well-known mm. things like races yep. and, and, and mainly sporting events mm-hmm. where there's been a long-term naming rights mm-hmm. sponsor who then after 10, 20, 50, uh, mm. 20 years drops it but people still call it that for another ten years. There's this decay effect. Well, as I well. think with things like the Melbourne Cup, you've seen, you know, you've seen a lot of that happen. Um, you know, very long, long-term, you know, naming rights partners there. Um, but it's an interesting one, the Melbourne Cup, mm-hmm. isn't it? Because I know a couple of companies that uh, sponsor. Um, have uh, big marquees, and when you say, well, it doesn't really mm. fit with your c- customer, um, often it's not the customer. You know, in one case, it's the um, the retailers. Exactly. It's a way of uh, mm-hmm. re- um, uh, rewarding them for their mm-hmm. loyalty and hard work. Or, you know, sponsorship's not just a customer-focused, or it doesn't have to be just mm. customer-focused, does that's it? That's right, and and that's where, as we were discussing before, you could have different brands buying into this, the, the one property, but for completely different reasons. So um, it is a it is a multi-layered space. I mean, the other the other thing that we haven't talked about yet, too, that I was, I was going to mention before when we talked about, you know, long-term involvement with particular properties, I think... Um, what we have been seeing, which there's a lot of brands that have been involved in, in, in different sports sponsorships for a long time, but I think in this last 12 months, we've seen an unprecedented amount of sports rights change hands. Mm. And I think, you know, that's another watch out when you're doing a longer term. You mean the broadcast rights? Broadcast rights, yeah. um, you know, which completely change, can change a leverage plan. So... It's really important when you're you're looking at these um, horizon deals that might go for multiple years. You want to be aware that is there a time during your the life cycle of your sponsorship that the actual broadcast rights, for example, are going to be up, and what what are the threats with that? How do you protect yourself from that? You know, we've seen a, a really interesting thing with cricket where, you know, it, it was mm-hmm. such a you know the Nine Network was the go-to destination summer of cricket um you know international free to air you know you knew where and now we've seen that whole thing turn on its head and you know for brands that have been around trying to leverage that suddenly the entire fragmentation of that sport completely shifts well and i think also Mm. because broadcast has changed you know there is the free to air but then there's um the paid options mm-hmm. and then there's uh, streaming yes. and then there's paid streaming you know mm-hmm. and where uh, the world world cup wasn't it that mm-hmm. uh, optus had the trouble they were sharing it with SBS and, yeah, well, and they, they had, had the to tru- they had to share more in the end because yeah, they because they couldn't, they couldn't stream you know yeah. they couldn't they couldn't handle the the bandwidth and the demand i mean in a way success mm-hmm. worked against them because yeah. there was such a high demand for it but all of those things makes sponsorship even more complex doesn't it 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 does and the challenge we've got at the moment really is that there is no one source of truth i mean we do know that live consumption of sport is certainly uh, not declining the same way 
general entertainment is on TV overall. And in fact, you could argue, is it really declining at all? Because is it just, you know, for example, something might be down because of the performance of the Australian team, for example. So there's all sorts of nuances. Did rainy weather, you know, mean no play? There's all sorts of reasons why sport can fluctuate. But the gap we've got at the moment for any decline we do see is we know the demand is there for streaming, but that's a different currency again, and we don't really have complete transparency on what those streaming numbers are that's and true. how the industry understands that you know we may have lost the linear broadcast here, but this is what we've gained. So it's actually effectively not not a decline at all, and I mm. think that's a real gap at the moment. The prevalence of streaming we've seen Ko launching over summer. Um, that's going to really change things. It's just how quickly and how quickly we're then able to measure that for clients is, is going to be the, the challenge. There's, there's another uh, dimension to that as well, which is it's not just the whole numbers, but is an audience person, a set of eyeballs, more engaged when they're streaming at the time that they choose as opposed mm. to watching it at a predestined time as well? I know, and that's a, and I mean, fortunately, with sport, the majority of it is consumed live. Yeah. Well, because no one wants a friend that says, "Hey, did you see that score? I was going to watch it tonight." But in saying that, you know, Ko have now set themselves up for no spoilers. So yeah, yeah. if you're in that situation and you are watching it that night, you can, you know, ensure that you've got no <laughs> you alerts for your team or anything. So I mean, this is this whole technology is first. making it even more complex. It is, but that's why you know, in a way, it, there's some really important 101 lessons there in terms of uh, that's going to be happening in everything, you know, even even sponsoring a um, an artist tour, for example. Mm. You need to try to work out how you are in that content. So no matter where it fragments, you're there. Yeah. You don't have to, and I think that's the other important thing, when you are negotiating rights in a sponsorship deal, do it so that then you are free to leverage rather than having to spend to defend. Yes. Yeah. Um, I think that's a real subtle yeah. difference. And, and it's all about planning. Planning exactly. up front. Yep. Get it right up front, front so that you're not then playing catch up down yes. the back. I've just noticed the time. Sandra, thank you. This is a, a, a incredible um, topic and I'm sure we could probably talk for another hour on this. But... Um, uh, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. And uh, one last question. Of all the different sponsorship types, which one's the highest risk for a brand? 